Welcome to the Perry Ritchie Group Podcast, bringing our communities the latest in wealth strategies, ideas, and updates on the capital market to keep you informed and confident. Listen in on conversations with our advisors and industry leaders around the country who are changing the landscape of their businesses. This is the Perry Ritchie Group Podcast. Today is Tuesday, August 9th, and you are listening to the Perry Ritchie Group Advisor Roundtable. Welcome, everyone, to the show. We have got a packed lineup today. We have our five of our advisor team members in here today and our newest advisor with our team, Miss Brooke Cassidy, which I'm going to introduce shortly. But before we get going, I'd like to talk about a few upcoming events that we have in our practice. So we know that a lot of the listeners are not local to our practice in Bowling Green, Kentucky, but a lot of our clients are listening and we hope you can uh, join one of our events here in person. Uh, We have our client appreciation Bowling Green Hot Rods ballpark event on August 25th. Uh, Please RSVP to that if you haven't already. We hope to see everybody there We've also got our client appreciation picnic on October 13th at Ironwood Farm here in Bowling Green, Kentucky as well. So um, please, uh, please attend those. We'd love to see everyone there. The next event I want to talk about in a little bit more detail, and I'm going to ask Sean, if he will, to share. We have a, a research arm of Baird called Strategus that we are hosting an event for clients on October 11th. Sean, tell us a little bit about the Strategus event and what we're doing with clients there. Yeah, we had an opportunity to have Strategus come to town. Um, we picked the policy uh, department inside Strategus, so they're one of the most well-known policy research firms in D.C., uh, led by a gentleman named Dan Clifton, and then his associate is Courtney Rosenberger, and Courtney is coming to Bowling Green on October 11th. We're going to do a lunch presentation. That's going to be about four weeks before the midterm elections. So we try to time that to where it would be, you know, it's going to be a highly contested election. You know, the current stats would say based on um, Biden's approval rating, there's going to be a lot of house seats that move around. And, um, you know, typically the first election in a presidential term is pretty volatile from a midterm standpoint. So we're excited to have, you know, what is one of the street's best policy uh, research firms here in Bowling Green to talk to clients and centers of influence um, leading right up to the midterm election. Yeah, so that's that's an event that we'll, we'll list out in our client newsletter, but it may be kind of last minute when you get that. That event is October 11th. Is that going to be a lunch event? It's going to be a lunch event, and we're hoping to lock down the location here in the next couple of days. Okay, great. Yeah, so a lot of you have requested that we used to – uh, have our live quarterly luncheon events that we call our capital market outlooks. And now we do our monthly podcast in lieu of those, but we thought it would be great to get everybody together for a live event and just incredible to have uh, representatives from St- Strategus right on the cusp of the election. So lots to, lots to talk about there. Um, yeah. So next I would like to introduce our newest advisory team member, Miss Brooke Cassidy. Welcome to the show, Brooke. Thank you for having me. Yeah, well, thank you for joining our team. Um, yesterday was Brooke's first day with our group. It, How was it? It was. Everyone was super welcoming. I just feel like just solidified how amazing of a decision this was. So um, Brooke has been an advisor for several years. Brooke, tell us where you came from. Yeah, so I actually started with a broker-dealer right out of college, uh, working on my master's, and then jumped from there to start an RIA 
Um, so running that independently, uh, alongside a business partner. So, you know, a lot of, uh, solitude in that. And so, uh, especially through COVID. Absolutely. Absolutely. A lot of personal growth came from that, uh, two year stretch. Um, but anyway, I've grown to know, uh, the team here in various facets and just really admire what they've done. And so happy to have joined. Brooke, we couldn't be more excited. And we, um, we we ex- exalt you um, in in your past career, but we do believe that being a team is one of the biggest benefits that we have to offer. Just like we sit around this table um, and, and have these discussions, we like to say all of us are better than one of us. So, um, you know, you were more of a solo practitioner, now part of our team, and, and we couldn't be more excited. Brooke is also a certified financial planner working on um, some other advanced industry designations and has in the past and will likely in the future been a professor and taught some finance classes. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. Um, So I started my PhD at Texas Tech University, which was one of the first financial planning departments uh, to be established in universities. So I am continuing to teach for them. I teach financial counseling as well as personal finance literacy so just finished up summer courses, and now we're running into fall courses. That's pretty incredible. Um, I'd like to point out that uh, last week, um, as in anticipation of joining our team, Brooke, uh, as an RIA, an independent advisor, there's different licensing and, and designation requirements there than we have on our side. So Brooke had to go through some industry licensing, and on Friday afternoon took her, her first major exam and um, over the weekend, I was I had been traveling, and I texted uh, with Sean a little bit, and I and I said, "Has anybody heard from Brooke? Like we're we're kind of anxious. Did she pass? Did she pass?" And she did, of course, pass her exam. And uh, Brooke is just the kind of person that she was taking her test, so you know, it wasn't any need to confirm whether or not she passed it. It was, well, yeah, I, I'm, of course I passed. And she didn't say, of course I passed. She's much more humble than that. But Thank that's you. what I thought. And specifically, I texted Sean and said, I, I think we've we've got the right person on our team here. <laughs> she, she has high expectations of herself. I appreciate that. Brooke, we look forward to having you in this discussion in the future. We're going to have to get more headsets. Uh, now, we're not always here, but um, I'm, I'm sorry that uh, we can't have our whole team on every episode. But welcome to the team. We're so glad you're with us. I'd like to turn next, um, short discussion with Sean. Sean uh, participated with a couple of our other team members last week in the Global Leadership Conference. Our team um, values wisdom as a as a core value of our practice and go to great lengths to continuously educate ourselves in that. Um, Sean, tell us about the Global Leadership Conference last week you participated in. Yeah, the Global Leadership Summit is something that started um, – maybe pushing 20 years ago out of a church in Chicago called Willow Creek Church uh, has grown to, I think they said it was in 500 U.S. locations. So it's become a simulcast event. So they not only do they have the live event, um, but it's simulcast. It was in 200 prisons this year, which I thought was really cool and and uh, interesting stat. But the, the speakers vary from... Um, you know, it, it does have a faith-based sort of leaning. Uh, the The first speaker was Craig Groeschel, uh, followed up by um, a lady named Vanessa that I had not heard of before, Vanessa Van Edwards. 
Um, but it was a really interesting talk about the questions that we ask and how we connect with people. And she described it as tier, tier one, tier two, and tier three questions. And she described tier one questions. You know, our typical ones are, what do you do? Tell me about your family, these sort of surface level things. And she said that she wanted all of us to go on a, what do you do diet? Like, don't say that word anymore. But it was pretty interesting because she kind of got into like some of the tier three questions and it was more about like, what's your story? Um, What are your biggest goals? How do you feel most understood? And it was like this whole new line of questioning that allows us to connect with people better. And so it was a great growth opportunity, you know, it was on a Thursday all day and a Friday. We did the Thursday version in Glasgow and then Friday virtually here hoping with a connection I have with C12 uh, to potentially have a location here in Bowling Green. I think it's something that is kind of sad that Bowling Green didn't have some sort of simulcast option for it. So, and it's pretty inexpensive as conferences go. I think it was a maybe less than 150 bucks a a person. So to get that sort of content for that price is, is pretty good. I've got a quick follow-up question to that. Um, So a lot of, a lot of our clients or people listening would, would assume that, the conferences that we go to, the things that we read are financial. You know, there, there are other advisors getting together. And Sean and I did participate in the Barron's Teams Conference in Nashville earlier this year, which was a financial industry conference. Tell us why you think it's so important that we expand what we do beyond just the finance industry, that we're looking at leadership conferences and that type of thing. Well, I think it's it has a lot to do with just how we connect with clients. You know, there's... Um, Finance is one thing that that obviously it's what we do. It's sort of our ticket to entry, but like being able to connect with clients in a different way and being able to, a lot of times we play more of a role of like therapist than we do anything else. So I think anytime you can become more well-rounded in your character and ultimately just wisdom, then it gives you an opportunity to, to share that and impart that with someone else. Um, and then as we grow as people, we're going to grow uh, in our opportunity to share those kind of things with others and be impactful for others. So I think it's just, a, you know, we, our, our vision statement is we exist to care for our clients, our team and our community with compassion and excellence. And I think when you, you think about that sense of care, you know, one way to care for people is to be active in their life and, you know, learning better ways to, connect with them is is ultimately the best way to do that yeah that's amazing um i'd like to point out sean mentioned there uh, c12 c12 is a christian consulting management group um that sean participates in it's a a kind of a peer-to-peer coaching group that um, they meet once a month andrew is also in a, a key team members division of that group um, Sean was recognized this year. I'm going to, I'm going to take just a second to toot the horn of Sean and, and, and another one of our team members because they wouldn't do it for themselves. But Sean is instrumental for C12 being in Bowling Green. Sean attended a, um, a group in Nashville just kind of as a see what this is all about type thing. And then ultimately worked with a local consultant to get a group started here in Bowling Green. And Sean was recently recognized um, this past summer as a, the, regional maybe or within our within our area and c12 covers a very big area the c12 member of the year so one went to a uh, this 
banquet uh, in Nashville, Tennessee and received this award and just a super cool thing uh, to recognize Sean's contribution um, to that. So Sean's always very, um, I, I'm not sure if it's a word, but out, out, outrospective, not introspective, but, you know, wanting to give back to others. So more so than just contributing to something or, or participating in something that helps him, he wants to help those, uh, those around him and, uh, pretty much solely responsible for every member of the group that's in Bowling Green too. I would say he would never say that. I said that if you're listening, I didn't say you're part it. of the I didn't group. Say it. I said it, Drew Ritchie. This is Drew. <laughs> Also, Andrew, sitting across from me, Andrew participates in the key team leader uh, segment of C12, and Andrew's recognized this summer as a uh, within Baird as a Baird Rising Star. So just a little bit about that program. Andrew was nominated and received the award. There were only three given in the firm. Sean, how many team members are there in Baird? Like 1,300, I think. Um, oh, advisors. The, well, advisors, but the Rising Star Award was, you know, with with anyone, maybe whatever age the, that you have to be. It's let's uh, say thousands. Thousands. There are thousands. I think it's four thousand or more key uh, team members. But a huge recognition for Andrew to 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 win that award. We've never had anybody from our office recognized at that level from the firm. And um, that goes all the way up to the top leadership in the firm that are selecting that. So Andrew is is certainly a, a key team member here, key um, member of our advisor team, been with us now for six years. Six years. A little over six years, yeah. And a rising star within the firm. Uh, well, I'm, my fingers are more than crossed that that doesn't mean that he has aspirations to, like, leave our team and move to Milwaukee and, like, rise within the firm. But – Pretty big deal, Andrew, and we want to recognize that. Congratulations. Thank you. Appreciate it. Um, Last, before we move into the capital market uh, legislative discussion, I wanted to highlight that our our book was recently recognized in Forbes, uh, Forbes Forbes.com, and potentially in Forbes magazine. I don't, I don't, don't, I'm not going to make that a quote, but as eight authors that can help make your lives better. So we had a nice little feature there on finding your financial advisor. Uh, you can find that with a quick Google search. We'll probably put that in one of our publications so people can easily link to that. But we were very humbled to receive that. Um, I, it didn't indicate that there was any ranking order in there, but I will say we were the first one listed. So it was not. Know. It was not financial limited to financial books either. It was oh, a, oh yeah, it was a varied background. It was a. It was yeah, varied background. Very diverse. Even some colorful. Even some other colorful. Bo- other colorful books. Um, that we're not saying that we're like at all, uh, if you check that list out. But, uh, yeah, we were we were very honored to be a part of that list. So kind of cool. We can put a link to that article in the show notes of this episode. That's a good idea. That's that's great. Andrew knows how to do things like that. We're going we're gonna to let Andrew do that. Perfect. So I'm going to start now um, with getting into the capital market discussion. Um, as always, Josh Marson is our – Certified Investment Management Analyst. He says, I miss I miss say that occasionally. Josh, what are you monitoring this week, this month, as far as economic data goes and what's happening in the markets? Yeah, so as of lately, um, of course, second quarter earnings we've been monitoring. They're, they're continuing to come out. I think, you know, we're, we're getting on the, the back half of, of earnings season. Uh, what I would say there is earnings – Across the board, don't seem to be nearly as bad as what they thought they could have been. So that's a little bit of a positive. 
Uh, we're also, you know, this week from an economic standpoint, later in the week, we got uh, CPI, Consumer Price Index reporting coming out. That's a, a measure of inflation. Uh, we also have consumer sentiment coming out at the end of the week. So that should give us a little um, view into where we've been and where we where we could be going. So not to not to ask you to to make a big call. Um, you're not necessarily a, a an economic analyst or an economist, um, but you know it, as far as CPI and some of these things, it it feels like you drive down the road, and gas prices are coming down, right, significantly down from their highs. It feels like things are beginning to loosen up a little bit, and we're beginning to see the benefit uh, or or the result of what raising interest rates does your take on that yeah you're you're 100 correct number one i am not a uh economist so um but i would from my opinion say interest rates appear to be beginning to work a little and what i mean by that is um you know obviously energy prices have have come off their highs but more importantly if you look at you know um homeowner application purchases. Uh, those have come back quite a bit, obviously with, with rising rates. Um, it's not as attractive from a, a mortgage purchase. So there's different areas within the economy that seem to be softening up. Uh, and I, I, I speak with our private clients a lot and I explain to them as far as interest rates and inflation goes is when you go to the doctor and the individual says, well, look, you may need to take a full, um, a full round of this medication before it really kicks in. And interest rates and inflation, that can, that can be fairly similar. You know, when you raise in interest rates by a half percent, it doesn't mean that a week later inflation is going to be affected by it. So, you know, my call would be we're probably feeling the first two rate hikes. Um, of course, there's been two since then. Um, but that would, that would be my take. Yeah. That's, that's a, that's a great analogy. I really like that, that description. Um, we know that the market is a forward looking indicator on the economy. A big question now that people are talking about is, are we in a recession? Are we not? They're going to change the definition because maybe we're not, even though technically we are by the definition, probably to two consecutive quarters of negative GDP growth. Um, even though we're up year over year. What do you think about that? Um, if the market is a forward-looking indicator, usually the market bottoms or finds its, finds its low point about six months in advance of a recession. You know, we're, we're pretty far up uh, above where we went to in the market. Um, when, talk about that a little bit. How far are we off of the bottom currently? So, I believe the bottom in the S&P this year was around the 23 range, negative okay. 23. Now, currently we're- 2,300. Uh, 23%. 23%. Okay, yep. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yep. Um, currently, I think we're around negative 13 okay. for the year. So we've had a um, an increase in the last four weeks yeah. around the market. A lot of people are seeing that on the July statements. I mean, that's become- been real evident there as I've had conversations with people. Yeah. And we need, people need a little bit of relief. We've had six months of declining markets and that's, you know, we've, I've, I've told people in a lot of my meetings that I've been in that we've gotten kind of used to these V-shaped 
you know, really event driven straight down, straight back up. And I got a couple months with my statements down or it's six in a row, I believe negative statements. And yeah. Yeah. And investor fatigue is, is real. So, you know, clients in a, in a, a V shaped recovery, they almost don't even have time to feel the fatigue because it's already come back up. But if you look at 08, 09, you know, in this scenario where it's drawn out longer, you know, your, your typical investor gets impatient, um, you know, over a period of time. Yeah. yeah. It's easy to do. And I've, I've been, when that comes up with clients, I've been just reminding them. And then some of our reporting, we can go back and look at calendar year returns. Mm-hmm. So when, when we're in that part of the discussion about performance, looking at 2019, 2020 and 2021 for the markets, those are three really good years back to back to back. And so that helps or it still doesn't make what's going on comfortable, but knowing that it's off of the back of a very strong three-year period for the markets um, does help that some. It sure does. Yep. That's, that's a great point. We do have to, I think somebody made the comment, we can't let a, a, a great, you know, run three or four year run be completely erased by a bad six months, which is what we had. It feels like things are getting better. It doesn't, in any way, shape, or form mean that we're not going to retest the bottom again, that we're just up from here. Uh, you never know where the bottom's at until you're, you know, six months or a, or a year past it. And then you can look back and say, that, yeah, that was it. Uh, we, hope, we hope that we've already experienced that and that things are better from now. But, you know. We'll, and I heard, we'll a, I heard a great comment not too long ago, and I, I feel like it's fairly true, but uh, bull markets are, are typically measured in years. And bear markets are typically measured in months. So, um, you know, sometimes you have to go through those months to take advantage of those years, um, which has been the case lately. Um, Sean, you made a comment earlier. Uh, I, I love the quotes like that, that that you made. Warren Buffett has a famous quote that is, be fearful when people are greedy, be greedy when people are fearful. Um, you made a comment earlier about before we started recording about what, what Berkshire Hathaway has been doing recently. Will you share that? Yeah, the recent um, annual or I guess quarterly report came out and through whoever I was reading was analyzing that they had made significant stock purchases in the in the previous quarter. They had been sitting on large amounts of cash and I think continued to look at companies to buy outright. But, um, you know, a large percentage of their portfolio, if you will, is in is investment uh, investments, which, you know, at one point, Apple was like 20% of Berkshire valuation, but they added, I, I feel like it was three and a half billion, but they added a bunch of money in the market. And it's just kind of interesting. You sit back and, you know, in 2000, um, in the, there was a period like 2019, 20 Berkshire underperformed the general market had a great year last year and, and is doing well this year, not in any way an endorsement of Berkshire, just like, the comment of, you know, wise investors uh, been investing money for 70 years and is adding money in a time when the market's volatile. Yeah, that's not a security that we own in any of our models. It could be in some of within some of the funds that are in our models. But yeah, not an endorsement, but yeah, yeah timeless wisdom from the greatest investor of our generation. Um, yeah, for sure. Interesting. I, I would also like to just point out as far as investor behavior goes, the research report that you shared with our advisor team earlier this week, and I don't want to butcher it. Would you share that with us, please? 
Yeah, we we have a firm called Strategus that does quite a bit of research, and and I was just reading one of their articles, and they were referencing something that goes directly to investor behavior, and and this is was year to date through the end of July, but they were just pointing out that the energy sector, uh, spider XLE, um, but essentially the energy sector itself was up thirty one percent year to date, but had seen over a billion dollars in outflows. So the it was up, but the but it had seen significant. You know, it'd be interesting to know what percentage that was of the of the whole sector. But it had seen massive inflow, massive outflows out of it. At the same time, the more aggressive type of investments out there, they reference two, which is one is the Arc Innovation Fund, and also a leveraged QQQ. So the Nasdaq 100, but leveraged. Um, the Nasdaq 100 was down 60% year to date, but had seen almost $8 billion in inflows. Um, so it just shows that we, you can't trace these, you can't like, um, you just can't follow these short-term moves in, in things. And typically the general investor um, is reacting to things yeah. at, the, at the wrong time. And, and it's remarkable too, that the energy sector would typically be categorized as value companies, um, which have, trailed growth companies in general for several years. So value came into favor this year and is seeing outflows. Those people that were holding it while it was out of favor, it become in favor and there's outflows. Growth has been significantly outperforming value in general. Again, we're making some general comments. Until this year. Until this year. And we've seen more flows into growth, into the tech stuff. And then people come to us and say, this stuff doesn't work for me. You know, this is game. It's like gambling, right? It's like going to Vegas um, because they don't really understand fully the, the risk that they're taking in trying to trying to make these, these guesses. Um, in respect of time, I want to switch the conversation to Andrew real quick. Andrew, there's some things going on in Washington. We usually rely on you internally, you and Sean, um, fully for uh, updates in D.C., but we and I had a conversation earlier around the new Inflation Reconciliation Act, or IRA. As Not to be confused with individual retirement accounts. Right. And this bill has nothing to do with, with IRAs, so the, I want to make that clear on the front end. Thank you. The government we're, loves acronyms. Yeah, we're from the government, and we're here to help. <laughs> uh, anyway, Andrew, tell us about this. Inflation Reconciliation Act. Yeah, so the Inflation Reconciliation Act, uh, and it's been fairly quiet out of Washington this year. There was some tax proposals last year that um, never uh, came to fruition. But um, most of this bill is focused around climate health care, but there are a few tax provisions in the bill. Um, it was passed by the Senate on Sunday, so earlier in the week, and has the possibility to be passed by the House later in the week and potentially signed by the president. So it could be a fairly quick turnaround time. So at the time of this recording, it's still a bill, but um, could be signed into law very quickly. Um, and as it relates to, as I mentioned, the, the tax components of the bill, these relate to, to corporations. And so from an individual standpoint, uh, there are no changes to the ordinary income tax brackets. There's no changes to capital gains tax brackets uh, or thresholds. And so I think that's really important because sometimes when you hear tax changes, you, you just make the automatic assumption that my personal taxes are going up. But a couple of the changes they're talking about is a 15% minimum corporate tax. 
So corporations, just like individuals, can claim deductions, depreciation, certain things on their tax return uh, to help. Um, so they're talking about instituting this 15% minimum corporate tax. So that doesn't, you know, obviously that doesn't affect our personal income tax returns directly, but that can influence how corporations think about their own, you know, financial situation, um, their own personal profits, the wages they're paying their employees and, and some of those um, aspects. A- another aspect of the bill is they're looking at uh, making a considerable investment in uh, expanding the IRS. And uh, over the last couple of years, um, audits have actually been declining. So there's been less tax returns that have been audited. Um, and they're looking at reversing that trend. Um, and in the Wall Street Journal article that I read, um, actually said approximately double the size of the IRS uh, over the next 10 years or next decade. So that's something, as we were talking about earlier, could change, obviously, with with new leadership or, or new um, legislation within the next few years. But um, those are the really the two big ones that are on the table um, right now. You know, it's interesting, and we're going we're gonna to wrap this up, but I'd, I'd love to hear what you guys think about this. But, um, you know, one, it's not uncommon that an administration tries to get something passed right before midterm election, right? The Democrats have full control over the House and the Senate. They got a big bill trying to get passed in the next couple of months. So not uncommon that we would see something like that. Maybe it happens, maybe it doesn't. Um, but that's just a little bit of color. I mean, part of our job here is to tell you all what's going on, but then also kind of what we're thinking about it. Um, so I think that's interesting to say. Um, also, the IRS doubling audits over the next 10 years. I don't know about about our listeners here, but we know that um, there are a lot of businesses that are understaffed right now and underemployed. There's about 6 million jobs unfilled in America. So I think it's interesting that the government thinks that if they want to hire a lot of people from private sector, so they'll have to pull them either from private sector or new, new graduates, that they're just going to be able to double and find that talent out there uh, because most of private business is having a hard time finding talent that they want to acquire. And an audit is a very special skill and one that requires a lot of expertise and time. And so, yeah, to, to your point, it is interesting. Um, you can you maybe double your employee base um, over the next 10 years, but, you know, the quality of the work that would, would need to be done, um, you know, is questionable and how that would look. Interesting. All right, well, that puts a bow on it for our August Perry Ritchie Group Advisor Roundtable. We thank everyone for listening. There's a lot going on in the economy in Washington and within our practice to keep uh, in check with. So we thank you for joining this month's edition and we look forward to tuning in next month in September. Everyone have a great month. Thank you. This podcast is intended for information and educational purposes only. It is not an offer to buy or sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy or sell any security or instrument or to participate in any particular trading strategy. The information is considered to be from reliable resources, but its accuracy is not guaranteed. The opinions expressed are those of the show's host and guest and are not necessarily those of Robert W. Baird & Company, Inc. Baird does not offer tax or legal advice. Securities and investment advisory services are offered by Robert W. Baird & Company, Inc., a registered broker, dealer, and investment advisor member.
member FINRA and SIPC. Robert W. Baird and Company, Incorporated.